0: Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home, be inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith.
1: Great to be with you all tonight. Thank you so much for tuning into The Way Home. Oh, I'm so excited. Tonight I have someone who has been an actor, a working actor, for almost 60 years on TV, films theater you name it and he has a great book it's called the life of a blue-collar actor from tobacco road to buckingham palace by way of new york theater and hollywood films his name is jordan rhodes and he has some fantastic stories and a lot of inspirational advice um just about staying in the business and being able to Um, actually live a whole life of just uh, acting in so many different capacities. Jordan Rhodes coming up on the way home. And I want to thank Balance of Nature, Fruits and Veggies in a Capsule, and the Whole Health System for sponsoring the way home with Laura Smith. I had the opportunity to be out in Utah this past week to visit the offices and the manufacturing plant where the fruits and veggies are um, prepared and put together in their proprietary blend into the capsules what an inspiration this company is Dr. Douglas Howard, who founded uh, the product and spent years researching on which vegetables and fruits that we need um, together in concert to create nutrition at its most concentrated level without the single addition of any chemical, of any uh, any other ingredient except for the fruits and vegetables and the fiber and spice is actually incredibly inspirational. I got to spend five days there and, and going through the plant and seeing how it's done and the ethics um, that they uphold within the company to make Balance of Nature truly a remarkable uh, place and product. To order your fruits and vegetables to gain optimum health and to boost your immune system and really set you on a new path. Of great nutrition is by going to balanceofnature.com, balanceofnature.com, or calling them at this easy to remember number 800 2468 751. 800 2468 751. However, you order, whether it's online or on the phone, make sure you put Laura into the promo code. That way they'll know you heard it here on the way home with Laura Smith. Laura in the promo code for 35% off your first preferred order and free shipping. When we come back, Jordan Rhodes and his great book, The Life of a Blue Collar Actor. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: Balance of nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time.
3: Being a truck driver, I don't always eat right, and it kind of balances out my natural body. and gives me a lot of energy. And I just recently went to the doctor to do a bunch of tests. And what was amazing, just like other people have said, is the first question was, "What are you doing? You are perfect." And so I go to the balance for nature. And I said, "You really need to look it up because it works." So my checkup was excellent, so I'm just thrilled. I am really happy.
2: Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-246-8751 or by going to balanceofnature.com. Again, that's balanceofnature.com. And make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code Laura.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, before I got into radio twenty five years ago this year, um I actually got my degree in theater at Adelphi University in New York City. It was a conservatory theater program, but my first love was acting, and um it's something I miss very much but uh you know it was not an easy uh road to choose in terms of a uh, career path and so uh, you know, I ended up in voiceovers in radio, which is still, to me, uh, some form of acting. But um, but I do miss the stage, and I and I miss uh, all that uh, artistry and creativity that goes into that. But I love hearing about actors who have actually spent their life doing that, working actors, people who have actually made a living by and from doing um this wonderful medium uh, of acting and uh i have come across a book through a dear friend of mine um that is just uh it's a wonderful story it's going to bring up all sorts of memories for a lot of people in terms of the people that he's worked with all his life but he's a fascinating guy his name is uh jordan rhodes and he's written a book called the life of a blue collar actor from tobacco road to Buckingham Palace by way of New York theater and Hollywood films. Jordan Rhodes, thank you for joining the way home today.
4: Oh, hi, it's nice uh, to be on your show, Laura. It's nice to talk to you.
1: Well, it's so fabulous to have you and your book, it reads like a movie or uh, a show, a film. Um, What an incredible story. Uh, You have been a working actor. You call it a jobber also in your book. Someone who's been doing it is it 60 years now? 55, 60 years?
4: Yeah, it's, it's a little over 55 years, law. Yeah, that I've been uh, I've been able to. Uh, it, it, it's it's quite uh, as you mentioned in in your introduction to your show. There, uh, it's uh, it, it's a tough profession to make a living in, and when you're lucky enough that you can work uh, as long as I've been able to work, uh, and be as lucky as I was because uh, I. I was really a, a poor kid that came from my, every summer, I used to go and work on my uncle's tobacco farm, and he was a sharecropper. He didn't own a big farm or anything. He was a sharecropper, and I used to go there and work. And to come from there, the whole reason I wrote the book, which I hope will give, uh, I think it'll give some hope and and some kind of encouragement to people, even if they're not coming in this business, but parents that have kids that are thinking about trying the theater or trying film or trying television i think the book will give them some really good insight into that and i believe that it will uh it'll give them some hope and the way i've always looked at it is that if somebody coming from my background could wind up making a living in this business working with some of the biggest stars in the industry and i'm talking about in roles not as an extra in the background and eventually wind up being invited to a cocktail reception at Buckingham Palace hosted by Prince Philip then I feel that if I can do that then anybody out there that wants to do anything they want to do should be able to achieve it and do it it's so, a
1: wonderful uh, message it's a wonderful message for for young people and it's a wonderful message for people who want to be acting it's interesting my my dad, I was at going to become I wanted to work in advertising and I was going to uh kind of major in that and 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 d- be a copywriter was my dream and my father was one of those rare ones who said, "Laura, you're an amazing actor. Why would you why would you just go to advertising school? Do something with your talent." So I had one of those few parents that actually encouraged me. To go into the profession. Most people have it the other way around. And somebody like you from your background, and we're talking about back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, it it's really truly remarkable. Here you are, all these years later, still doing the work. So let's talk a little bit about getting started. You have worked with the biggest names for many years in every medium that there is. I mean, you were you were in soap operas, you were in television series Bonanza for how many years, um, and some of the most classic and iconic TV of our time, but you've also done theater and uh, f- films. And like you said, and Sean Pan has called you like one of the greatest character actors out there. Um, I'm sure there's a lot uh, of other quotes that have been said about you. Um, tell us about how getting started and landing where you landed, you said it was luck. I don't i don't think people just land in the roles that you've had all these years with luck. It's obviously an innate talent that you have, Jordan. So tell us a little bit of your story, um, how you got started and where you are today and some of the most amazing people you've worked with.
4: Well, since you brought up Sean Penn, uh, I, I certainly, even in my book, I credit my book and I thank his father, Leo Penn. His father, Leo Penn was quite a director, uh, in, uh, out in television and, and, and did a, a couple of films, but mainly in television. But what a lot of people don't know about Leo Penn is that he started as an actor in the New York theater and he was really, really, he, he was, he was a wonderful actor. And unfortunately he got caught in that big blacklist thing that went on out in Hollywood, you know, back in the forties and that. And so he turned to directing. And Leo Penn really put my career on the map by, number one, giving me the first really big, important role I had in television, which was on a Marcus Welby show. And it was the first Marcus Welby show that was ever based on a true script. And Leo gave me that role, uh, telling me, honestly, the reason he called me in for the part was because my agent, Ted Wilk at the time. Was chasing Leo all over town, saying, "I got this young actor. You've got to see him. You got to see him." And when I finally went and met Leo, he said, "I really only saw you because your your agent actually chased me into a men's room, Jordan." And he said, <laughs> so "I I I had to I had to tell him, okay, okay, I'll see this guy." But anyway, he he really he put my career on the map, which of course I met uh, his his wife. Uh, uh, Eileen, Eileen Penn, her her name was, uh, her acting name was Eileen Ryan and she was a big actress here. And of course he had three sons, Michael Penn, which a lot of people, I, they certainly should know him. He scores, he's a musician and he scores films and he's very, very successful. And Chris Penn, the, the younger actor who unfortunately, uh, had a heart attack and died, you know, quite young. And then of course Sean. And, um, I was able to help Sean in, early in his career by getting him something here in, in New York uh, on, uh, Actually, I got him a play here in New York, and he has paid me back tenfold because I did The Indian Runner, which is his first film that he wrote and directed. I did All the King's Men with him. But Leo, when I used to tell these stories to Leo about my upbringing, coming from the tobacco farm and all of that, Leo used to say to me, kid, you got to write these things down. They're gold. He said, write a book. I said, Leo, come on. I said, who's going to read a book about me? And here's what he said to him. He said, Jordan, you tell me one other actor that has come out of a dirt farm in North Carolina that's gone on to work in this business, make a living in this business, and wound up being invited on the celebrity team in a golf tournament to go to Buckingham Palace in a cocktail reception. You tell me one other actor that's done that. And I said, well, uh, he said, write your book. So that's, that's kind of what, and, and Leo did in that role, giving me that thing in the Marcus Welby. That's what really kicked me off. I had done smaller things before that because my first outing in, uh, in California, when I first went out to California is I got on Peyton Place. Um, Peyton Place. I, Peyton Place. Yeah. My wife and I tell that wonderful story in the book about, uh, when, uh, Mia Farrow got her famous haircut, uh, in Peyton Place, I said, I knew how that really came about and that's in my book and i won't give it away here Aha!
1: Uh-huh. so you have to read uh the life of a blue collar actor in order to get the story of uh mia farrow's pixie bob if I, <laughs> I think that's what they were called
4: yeah it, and in those days they were uh all the wonderful uh french actor she was actually american but she went over and made quite a name for herself uh, playing joan of arc uh over and uh, i don't know why her name is escaping me right now but that was really her haircut that she first started with. But uh, yeah, I came, I started in the theater in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, then I came on to New York again in the theater and uh, just got some small television roles here. And just um, somebody asked me recently, I I did something, uh, it was a written interview on a magazine and they asked me, uh, you know, what would I contribute my success to? And I said, boy, I said, that's really easy. I said, perseverance, never quitting. You just, you, you, you just, you just have to keep going, but it's got to be something that you love. If it's something that you love years and years ago, again, as a young actor, I met George Burns and George Burns spoke to a group of us and he said a really interesting thing to me. He said, learn to fall in love with your work because most of us have to work for a living. And if you love your work, you won't really find it difficult to work. And I really, that, that's really true because I try to tell young people and certainly the parents of young people, if you're not dedicated and, and you, you, you've got to be dedicated to this business if you want to do it, because when I sometimes hold these seminars, Laura, I, uh, I always start out and I've had, you know, like small groups, 100, 150 people to larger groups, 300, 350 people. And I usually come out by saying, okay, uh, they, I show some clips and some uh, little montage of my stuff. And I say, okay, let me see the hands of how many people in here would like to do something like this. And all the hands go up. And I say, okay, now how many people in here would like to be movie stars? And there's a little pause and I have to encourage them. I say, come on, come on, show me the hands. I want to be movie stars. And about a third of them go up. And mm-hmm. I simply say to that third, well, if you want to be a movie star, buy a lottery ticket because your odds of being a movie star are about as good as when you buy a lottery ticket. But if you want to be an actor, I said, I might be able to give you some insight on how you can do that and learn how to use your emotions and your things to bring them across to an audience so that you can act if you do it. But you've got to have the dedication. And I there's some wonderful actors that I've met in my life and know, and unfortunately, they, they weren't able to, quote, make a living in the business because it's tough. And I've always been proud of the fact that when I started in this business, I didn't have any father in the business, mother in the business, sister in the business, cousin in the business, uncle, aunt, nobody in the business. I didn't have any contacts like that. Uh, I love what uh, Jill St. John and uh, RJ Robert Wagner, both good friends of mine, they wrote a wonderful forward for my book, which I thank them both for. And they said something in there about Jordan has earned the respect, you know, from all the people that he's worked with. And he did it the old fashioned way he worked for. it. Yes. And uh, that's uh, anyway, that's that's pretty much that.
1: Well, it's really it's inspiring for sure. And it uh, it does. it It does absolutely. Encourage people to know that with that kind of perseverance, hard work, and just good old-fashioned ideas about how to how to you know keep working, it's not necessarily about being a star, like you said. It's it's about being able to do what you love on a daily basis, and you have done so. My guest is Jordan Rhodes. He's written a book, "The Life of a Blue Collar Actor: From Tobacco Road to Buckingham Palace by Way of New York Theater and Hollywood Films." Jordan, tell tell my audience about just just name some of the shows you've done the the films you've done the tv series you've done and some of the iconic people you have worked with and who've become friends of yours it's just it's a list that it 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 takes you back because i don't know but for me um it's not the same today like yes there are amazing actors there's no doubt about it and artists in the business still but um, when you read the list that uh, you, you kind of came into your own with, um, it's exciting and it, it's a throwback to a, a really wonderful time, I think, in television and film. Tell us some of these people.
4: Well, I just think that uh, in my life, I guess one of the reasons that would make the book interesting to people is as a young struggling actor in New York, uh, one of the teachers that really helped me was uh, Carl Redcock. And Carl used to live in an apartment building with his wife, uh, Evelyn King. And in the building, Lee J. Cobb's uncle lived in the building. And Lee J. Cobb, who, you know, in New York, we all knew him as an actor. And years later, I wind up getting a television show called The Young Lawyers. And Lee J. Cobb was the star of that show. So those kind of things have kind of happened to me all through my career. Again, as a struggling actor in New York, I was working at the Four Seasons. And John Wayne came there to a big party. And of course, John Wayne, I'm going to tell the story now, of course, uh, it, it's, it, it's on the radio, but they'll still understand it. They'll get it. Anyway, John Wayne came there. And when John Wayne was coming, leaving the party, I was on duty down by the hat check place. And the Four Seasons, you go upstairs into the main dining but When you first come into the Four Seasons, you're on a level there. And that's where the hat check room is. John Wayne was coming down the steps, and I turned around and looked up in the hat check place, and you could pick out his hat in a minute, because in those days, he wore those big brim hats, and everybody was wearing the little brim hats. And so I said to my buddy who was in there, I said, that's John Wayne's hat, get his hat. So he put it down on the counter, and John Wayne comes walking up, and Laura, I got to tell you, one of all the actors to me, I was always incredibly impressed, Gregory Peck and Carl Mullen and those people that I worked with, but John Wayne was literally bigger than life he was he, well, he was a big man anyway. He was like six foot six six foot seven and just a big and he came up and he walked up there and he looked down and he said yeah I remembered my hat huh and I said uh, yes sir and he picked his hat up and he reached in his pocket and he came out with a five dollar bill and he tossed it down on the counter and he said buy yourself a cigar and that's exactly how he said a, a cigar he didn't say buy yourself a cigar he said buy yourself a cigar and then he walked out of the restaurant. Years later, I, my career is going along now in California. And my agent, Ed Wilk, the same agent I mentioned earlier, chasing Leo Penn, calls me up and he says, uh, Jordan, listen, he said, i just got a call in for you. Uh, they want you to do this show. He said, but I don't know if you're going to be interested. He said, just one day. And he said, it's on this big, and it's a television thing, but it's this big thing called uh, My America or something like that. And he said, John Wayne. I said, John Wayne? And he said, yeah. I said, am I going to work with John Wayne? And he said, yeah. I said, I'll do it. He said, well, let me tell you you, you, the money. I said, I don't care. He said, well, it's just one day, Jordan. And I said, Ted, I don't care. I didn't get to work with Cary Grant. I didn't. I I said, didn't get to work with Gary Cooper. I said, I didn't get to. I said, John Wayne, if I can work with John Wayne, I'm doing it. So I took that job, and then I'll wrap up this little story, I took that job, I go on to do this show, which people can see now on television, it was a big, huge special, there were tons of people on it, and I remember the day that I met him, I'm on the set to do my guy, I think I played a guy from Mississippi or something, and it's about Wayne talking about America, and it's really quite wonderful, and anyway, he was talking to some of his friends there, because he always had friends around, and talking about how his weight was down to something like, uh, I think he's a I'm like down, I'm down to 260 or something. He was like really happy about that. So I walked over to him. I waited a couple of minutes and I said, uh, Mr. Wayne, I said, hi. I said, I'm Jordan Rhodes. I'm working with you here. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, call me Duke. I said, call me Duke. I just, yeah, I said, uh, I just want to tell you that uh, years ago, I was working at the Four Seasons in New York. When you came in there, I was down at a hat check place. And I swear he went, "Uh, Four Seasons. Yeah, I remember that. That was a party they had there. Well, it's good to have you on the show.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome! And, and you can, and, yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell by you know your voices uh, that you're you can mimic a lot of people. That's what that's the difference between a, a regular actor and a character actor. Um, you you can you can mimic these people, but uh that's an incredible gift um but can you imagine- I can only imagine how incredible that must have been oh. for John Wayne to look at you and say, "Call me Duke, Wow, you must have died and gone to heaven so uh I know there's a thousand other stories where this came from, and people are just gonna have to read your book, Jordan Rhodes, in order to get really the list is so. It's vast of the people you've worked with um, in the biz- in the business, the shows you've done, the movies, the films, the, the theater. Uh, it- it's really inspiring uh, for anyone. And still, let's just remind people, are you working today still? Are you getting roles? What are you doing?
4: Oh, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I, of course, uh, in my career, I, I wrote a play uh, called Papa, the Man, the Myth, the Legend. And it's about the life of Ernest Hemingway. And I actually toured in that play around the country for five years. And it is really a terrific play. And I have now finally found an investor who wants to put that play on Broadway. Broadway is set to open back up in September. And uh, I can only tell you that, uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you one name that, that we're hoping to get. I don't know. And if this goes out on the airways and he hears about it, maybe he'll say he'll do it anyway, or maybe he'll get mad and say, I won't do it. But, uh, it's really just, it's, uh, it's, it's mainly, it's when we did it on the road, it was two characters. Uh, Lynn Moore played all five women in the play and I played Hemingway and people can go to Amazon and actually order it. It's it's on a DVD. It was filmed, but, um, I'm trying to get. I'm asking George Clooney if he will play the role of Papa Hemingway. And basically, yeah, you're on the stage for two hours with just the intermission, and uh, that's what I'm looking to do. Plus, there's a small film that, depending upon if we can't get a theater for September or October, there's a film called uh, McCabe and Little Jesse, which they are calling a faith-based film. It's okay with me, and I guess the reason they're calling it a faith-based film is because it's about a little. 9-year-old girl whose parents were killed in a car wreck. She's my niece. Uh, I play I'm I'm going to play the lead role. I play Mac, this old crabby guy who's never been married, doesn't fit to like kids. Uh he's an ex-marine, an ex-tool salesman, but he becomes the guardian of this little 9-year-old girl and the busybodies in the town don't like the idea that this old guy is uh got this little girl. He's the guardian of her plus he's dating uh, Divorce lady that's younger than him, so they try to take, uh, they try to take uh, the little girl Jesse away from him, and he has to go to court to fight it. So anyway, that's what the film is called, and we're going to do that in Connecticut, and that's happening. So to answer your question and the people out there, and also I want to say this: I still get, I do a lot of these conventions where these celebrity conventions you go and people come and you sign stuff. I still get letters and people, and I'm very proud to say. I answer every one, and for some reason, I am big in the Nordic countries. I get things, uh, you mentioned Bonanza earlier. I'm from three different people over there in Switzerland, Sweden, and I forget the other one right now, Norway, I think. They've sent me pictures from Bonanza asking me would I autograph them and mail them back to them, so it's... Uh So wow. I guess uh, again, when I say to people, when I was my book and everything, I say to people, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anybody remembers me, but when I go and do these conventions, I am amazed. These people come up to me and they will describe these shows. You know, obviously, I did uh, Matlock with uh, uh, with Andy Griffith. I was on that show for three years. I did uh, Streets of San Francisco for four years with Carl and, and Michael Douglas. And so I've, I've had that run of things, but people, it amazes me how the public can remember that. So I. Hope well, that's
1: that, obviously because you have the kind of talent that people find unforgettable. So, Jordan Rhodes, I want to have you back on again in the future because the stories are, are just so wonderful. And, I would love
4: and- to do it again, Laura.
1: It would be great. And I really want to encourage people, wherever fine books are sold, look for The Life of a Blue Collar Actor from Tobacco Road to Buckingham Palace by way of New York Theater and Hollywood. It's by Jordan Rhodes. And you can also find uh, his website, abluecollaractor.com, and and find all that he's doing there and follow him. We're looking forward to seeing his uh, wonderful play about Hemingway and his other films. Great to be with you today, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. This is The Way Home. We'll be right back. I'm Laura Smith.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, there are a lot of writers in the world um, who are female, who have been lauded and and really looked up to uh, for centuries. But there are so many more um, who went through so much for literally um, hundreds of years that have really not had their name known and their works um, widely discovered until now. I'm so grateful to have Lauren Marino along. She has a brand new book called Bookish Broads, Women Who Wrote Themselves Into History. Sounds absolutely fascinating. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today with this important work of yours.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: I was so amazed when I was reading about some of the authors that you highlight in your book. First of all, how did how did this come to be? What was it? I, I know that you're an absolute uh, uh, a readaholic uh, since a child. Um, and so you have consumed thousands and thousands of books. Um, tell us about this project in highlighting names that I, I would have to say a lot of them I don't even know and I'm sure the world isn't really familiar with. You're talking about the first novelist um, who was in Japan right. back in the, what, the 10th century or something. Yes, Tell us about Bookish right. Broads and what
5: led you to write it. Sure. Well, like I said, I've always been a big bookworm. I've always read books and I've, I've always read female writers and I love strong female characters. And I'm also, in addition to being a writer, I'm also a book publisher. And I know that in the book industry, 80% of books are bought by women. And I read an article about the um, most circulated books in libraries around the world. They had pulled together all of this research. And it turned out, if they, they, they sent out, the Library Association sent out a list of the top circulated 100, the top 100 circ- most circulated books. Only 14 of them were by women. Mm. And I said, why is that? And so then I just Googled world's greatest books and there was barely a woman on there. And again, 14 out of the top 100 were written by women. And I said, if women are the big readers and book buyers, um, and I know that they're out there as writers, how you know, why aren't they being celebrated um, and given the credit that they deserve? So I started researching this book And I started by writing about the writers that were my childhood favorites or my current favorites, um, like Charlotte Bronte, who wrote Jane Eyre, Jane Austen, who wrote Pride and Prejudice, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Beatrix Potter. And I just started learning about their lives and what motivated them to become writers, what obstacles they had to overcome. Who had inspired them, who they had read, and the and the more I went down the rabbit hole a little bit i I did a tremendous amount of research, and I went back and I read a lot of these books and I discovered all sorts of new writers that I had not heard of before um, and i I wanted to, you know I tried to find like why were they why are we not reading these women today, or why are they not considered some of the greatest writers because their work certainly um, Reflects the female experience and the challenges, the various challenges in the times of which each of these women lived. So, the first novel studying English when I was growing up, it, you know, when I went to college, I was taught that Samuel Richardson was the, fir- the world's first novelist. But in fact, Lady Murasaki Shikibu invented the modern novel in 10th century japan uh-huh. and the tale of genji is 1300 pages she was in the empress's court and it was a sort of 1300 page soap opera of what was going on behind the scenes at court that would rival the crown or bridgerton um and you know, and so starting with her then just sort of going on um Just through even more recent history, I had heard of Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, but I had never read her, and uh, she wrote a book called We Should All Be Feminists, and it's such a beautifully clean-cut written, you know, I know, like, the word feminist is something a lot of people don't want to embrace these days. Um, I, you know, I don't want to call myself a feminist, but I'm certainly all about You know, I'm a working mom, and I'm a breadwinner, and I'm also a writer, and I just – we should all be feminists explains why why it's just important for women to have their voice and to share their experiences and how it benefits all of society and men as well as women – um, you know, for, for women to have their voices heard and, and to be considered equal and to have equal pay and to have have resources. So I had heard of her, but I did I had never read her. And once you once I read her, I understood why she was so, um, you know, Why was she, she was so she's so important to read today. And she's you know she's the last writer I focus on in my book. And she's very current. She's still writing today.
1: Right. But there are so many that went before that, honest to goodness, I've never heard of in my entire life. Of course, we've all, you know, uh, heard some of the, like you said, the big ones, Mary Shelley, Jane Austen, Virginia Woolf. Um, But we're talking about women that you've unearthed besides this um, Japanese first novelist in the 10th century. There are so many others. And yet, why were they uh, were, were the books kept down or were the women kept down because of the times and why right. hasn't anyone maybe besides you unless i'm wrong in university level and and schools ha- have been unearthing these incredible um works of from the last several hundred years and and talking about them like, what has taken so long is it that they're literally just Buried, and you have to dig, dig, dig to find them. A lot of them, I know, are based. um, A a lot of the writers were spiritually uh, focused uh, women who were sort of nuns and convents and things like this. But there were others that were even thought of as being, you know, scholars that that even possibly wrote some of Shakespeare's works. Tell us how you found these, and are they going to be unearthed? And 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 looked at now um, besides your book, or are they going to remain this way forever?
5: I, you know, I, I think I'm, that's my hope in, in writing this book was to unearth them. And so, you know, throughout I look at this as a guidebook in a way, Um, you know, I I profile 62 women and I want, and and each of them had to have moved literature or writing or women's um, issues forward in some way and I couldn't you know I could have written hundreds of these but I, I, I focused on 62 um, and I and, and it ended up becoming over the process over you know through the writing process it almost became a history of the female experience through history because each of the women wrote about the issues that were going on in her time and the, you know the nuns were the first Western, Women to be able to write because uh, it, women were not allowed to learn to read or write. Literacy uh, among women is not something that really happened unless you either joined the convent or you had a very, very wealthy father who was a member of a, co- a royal court who had a library. You had to have access to books. And book, you know, so that was one issue was literacy and having access to books, having access to education. Most women, until the 20th century, did not have formal educations. Even Jane Austen and Mary Shelley did not have. Virginia Woolf never went to university because her father did not believe that girls should be educated. Her brothers and stepbrothers went to university; she was not allowed to. Um, you know, and this is in the early 20th century. So I think these old prejudices and cultural, um, you know, just basic sexism has, has really, I think the women were kept down. They absolutely were kept down. And some of these women were, that, I, that I found, like Afra Ben, um, would, like when Afra, Afra Ben was a very successful playwright after, after Shakespeare's time. Uh, and she was a favorite of the king, and she was just as successful and as good of a writer as all of the men. But as a woman, she was very rare. So they, she got called out. They would, they would call her names. They called her immoral. When she died, they basically buried her with, you know, literally and figuratively. They wrote an obit. They wrote an obituary. That destroyed her reputation and completely beat her down, and then they stopped, they stopped publishing her books. So there was no legacy for Afra Ben, um, but it, it was when Virginia Woolf sort of unearthed her that she became known again. And she's known by certain scholars, but she's not in the mainstream. Um, Kate Chopin, the same thing. You know, she's very well known down in Louisiana. Um, but she wrote a book called The Awakening that was um, banned when it was written. And it was, you know, she was called immoral, et cetera. Um, you know, the best way to, to just basically, ki- you know, kill these women's writings was to just say, well, this look what she's writing about. She's a bad woman. Um, or to belittle them by saying, oh, well, she's writing about women's things. The inner lives of women, well, that's not important. So, you know, they were poo-pooed, even as recent as Bridget Jones. I mean, I I, remember when Bridget Jones came out, this new term that became dubbed chick lick. Right. And then you right. call it chick lit. It's just another way to belittle women's writings and contributions. Right, it's to say, My guest oh, is this Lauren is Marino.
1: A- Sorry, yeah. Lauren, I have to yes, go. Um, wrap up go. here, but I, I wanted to tell everybody that um, Lauren Marino, she's a longtime book editor and publisher and the author of this new book, Bookish Broads, Women Who Wrote Themselves Into History. Uh, Lauren, I, I just find it extraordinary that you are doing this, but in even these times, we think we're so ahead and like, yet you bring up Bridget Jones as being called chick lit. Um, it's just so it's amazing. We think we've come so far and yet look at the censorship that's going on in our society. Even today, cancel culture, um, JK Rowling, who was one of the most celebrated, uh, young adult and children's novelists and even for adults with her Harry Potter series went from being the most lauded over the last several decades to um, you know she said something wrong that wasn't politically correct or whatever and people are trying to get her canceled this is just that's right appalling to me that like in this day and age we have our own version of of kind of taking these people and these women and and somehow degrading or demeaning their works with just ridiculous things and yet there are so much to consume so many wonderful things that we don't know about and we're not being taught about in school and and so much to learn I am so grateful to you that you wrote bookish broads women who wrote themselves into history it's going to be an amazing education for people and so exciting and hopefully um a lot of the books are are the books let me just ask you quickly are the books that are really old? Um, that are included in the list of women that you've uh, written into your book. Are they, are the books still available? Can you find that first novel by, by the Japanese woman in the 10th century? Oh
5: yes. Tale, tale of, you know, I put further reading at the end of each essay and all of those books are available because I had to find them and read them myself in order to write about them. So I do suggested reading and yes, like tale of Genji is absolutely available. Um, And there's all, you know, there are biographies of these women, if you know that are that are more thorough. If people want to go, you know, if they find a, a particular writer they want to know more about, I provide resources in the book for oh, uh, to lead them in the right direction.
1: On a quick personal note, of all the writers that are um, included in your in your wonderful book, Bookish Broads, what is your personal favorite? Who is your personal favorite?
5: Oh, you know, it's hard for me to say that because I have favorites from childhood and then I have new people I'm dis- I discovered, you know, I've always, always loved Edith Wharton. Edith Wharton is one of my favorite writers and I just love that gilded age, um, glamorous New York time period and her, you know, I think the House of Mirth is probably one of my favorite books I never tire of her. And she was a very, very, you know, she was, um, an incredibly wealthy woman. She did not need to write, um, but she was compelled to write and she talked about the world in which she grew up. And, you know, that's why we have the age of innocence. And, um, I would, I would pick Edith Wharton.
1: Okay. Just uh, somebody who is prolific and and, and has read as much as you have, as well as written. It was interesting to note. Again, Lauren Marino, she's written a book called Bookish Bronze, Women Who Wrote Themselves Into History. It's available wherever fine books are sold. Thank you for joining us today on the way home. Lauren, really wonderful stuff here. Thank you for doing what you did.
5: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. You're listening to
0: The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura.
5: Well, we all know that during the pandemic,
3: some of uh, our most important and most wonderful industries were so uh, impacted and and not all positively, obviously, um, with the pandemic. And one of them was tourism, of course. Uh, Traveling subsided so drastically uh, during the last year. And we know that That tourism isn't just one thing in and of itself it it affects so many businesses in in communities that are important well hopefully uh, the trend is going to move back to uh, kind of the the new uh, well or a brand new uh, normal that will um, offer communities ways to flourish and and prosper so my guest is Christopher Nolte he's the head of global public affairs for Airbnb and it's going to be very interesting to hear how how the industry is coming back, tourism, but what it really offers and means in economic benefits to small businesses and communities all over the world. Christopher, thanks so much for joining us today. On the way home,
6: yeah, thanks so much for having me.
3: So let's let's hear a little bit about this. We want we want good news. Is there? <laughs> uh, do you see in the near future, or is it already happening? Is travel tourism coming back?
6: Well, I, I think I do have good news for you. Then, you know, as cities and, and states sort of plan for the months and years ahead, we know that tourism, and specifically tourism driven by Airbnb guests, can be a really important part of you know cities' economic revitalization. And we we took a, a look at this data over the last couple of months to really understand what was going on, and we we particularly looked back at 2019 um, to really understand what the future might look like. And you know, we worked with Oxford Economics, who who helped us study this. And so, in Chicago, for example. We found that Airbnb gets supported 4,400 jobs in 2019, including 1,500 in the restaurant industry, 1,000 in the retail industry, you know, more than 900 jobs in the entertainment industry, and 600 jobs in the transportation industry. You know, all, you know, parts of the economy that were, were really hard hit by COVID. And we know that this type of support is going to be really important as Chicago seeks to rebuild these industries and the tourism economy and, you know, get people back into local restaurants, get people back into shops and back into theaters.
3: And um, well, speaking of theaters, I know Broadway is opening in September. Do we know about theaters in Chicago, in other uh, states? Are they opening up basically around the same time?
6: Yeah, you know, what we've heard from, you know, our hosts in so many communities is that, you know, everyone's sort of working through the updated CDC guidelines and, and trying to understand how that's going to impact uh you know their their community uh you know chicago is such an incredible theater scene and it would be wonderful to see you know theaters reopen you know and hopefully just around the same time that broadway does i know that you know so many people are eager to get back and see live music and you know see theater and it's a big part of why people travel and it's a big you know part of of what makes being an airbnb host in chicago really interesting is that people come for the food for the theater the jazz uh and for those lake views of course as well
3: now we know that some states more than others um, are are more open. Um, Illinois, Chicago, especially um, one of them that uh, has has been a little bit um, behind in, in reopening a lot of its businesses and you know things, things like you know tourism, entertainment, restaurants, and so forth. Um, do you see them being able to, to catch up this summer? Um, you know, basically, I guess you know, with people being vaccinated and such, people are are. That's one of the signs and cues that are allowing people to open back up again. Do you see this summer as a probability for sh- the Chicago area?
6: Yeah. Well, you know, certainly, what we're seeing across the country is that people are eager to get out. They're eager to, you know, return to some sense of normalcy, and they want to travel. Right? They they want to see their friends. They want to see their family. They want to enjoy new restaurants. They want to enjoy new communities. And, you know, it's really a great time in Chicago to become an Airbnb host because, you know, as people get vaccinated, what we're seeing is that they're they're eager to travel. You know, back in, in March, we we looked at some of our data and one of the things that we found was that between February and March, you know, people over the age of 60 in the United States had become one of the fastest growing group of, you know, bookers on Airbnb. In fact, searches by people over the age of 60 between February and March went up 60%. Um, and, you know, we attributed the fact that you know, senior citizens in this country were the first group to get vaccinated and the first group to say, okay, I'm ready to return to normal life because I'm vaccinated and ready to go. And we certainly expect that trend is going to continue, um, you know, as people feel more and more comfortable and as the CDC, you know, changes, uh, you know, guidance and, and makes it a lot easier for fully vaccinated Americans to travel and return to normal life.
3: Absolutely. And Airbnb really is a, a unique opportunity for people who may not have seen themselves as uh sort of business people and, uh, you know, opening their homes in this way. But it really has changed the face of tourism, I think, and has offered the world just a wonderful new way uh, to experience their travel. Um, it's really been an, an amazing uh, phenomenon, I think, Airbnb. And so do you see – Airbnb is kind of leading the charge in terms of opportunities for people to maybe financially really turn things around for themselves just by offering, hosting a a home.
6: Yeah, you know, one of the things that that we heard from so many of our, our hosts last year, you know, was the economic importance of Airbnb, you know. For almost half of our host community in the United States, they use the dollars they earn on Airbnb to pay their rent, you know, to pay their mortgage, to sort of close the gap. And so, at a moment like this of both economic inequality and, you know, a lot of people being out of work, you know, Airbnb creates an important, you know, avenue for people to earn some extra dollars. Uh, we were talking to a host last week who said, "Look." I, you know, rent out my place for three weeks every summer so that my family and I can go on vacation ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. at a moment like this and, you know, at both a moment when so many people are looking for some extra money, but people are also looking to get out of the house because, man, we've all been locked up for so long. uh, It's a great opportunity to open up your home and, and to earn some extra dollars doing so.
3: Absolutely. Well, where can people find more information uh, on airbnb becoming a, a host site and and just also more on on the tourism and, and the trends that are happening right now post-covid or
6: yeah mostly post-covid yes yeah, yeah. if you head over to airbnb.com slash host we'll walk you through the whole process we'll help you become an airbnb host we'll help you get photos uploaded or if you're just looking for a, a great place to stay you know go over to airbnb.com and you know maybe find a tree house a townhouse a castle uh, or maybe a beautiful house with the lake view
3: Incredible! It sounds so good. Never would we uh, realize how, how important travel and tourism plays in our lives to create happy, satisfied lives. Uh, Christopher Nolte, thank you so much. Head of Global Public Affairs for Airbnb. Um, it's a new day, and uh, we're excited about it. Thanks so much for joining us on The Way Home.
6: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
3: And you're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Balance of nature
2: is fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time.
0: When I first started the balance of nature, after a few weeks to a month, I noticed some difference in it. I used to get allergies during the uh, spring and summer months, but uh, they have been hardly anything since I've been on balance of nature. And I do believe, you know, the balance of nature really has such a positive effect. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 73 years old now, but I feel like I may be 53. (laughs) I thank God and I thank balance of nature.
2: Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount
1: code Laura.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: And this is the time of the night where we love to uh, just talk about things that make you feel good. It's Good News Stories with Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Cleefield. What do you have for us tonight?
0: We're gonna take you out to Pennsylvania. this is the unique dynamic story of a relationship between a first grade teacher and a student who was in first grade at the time. And what makes it so special is that these two were bonded together because, unfortunately, the youngster had cancer, a form of cancer. Her name is Barb Hind, and she's been teaching in a local school district in Pennsylvania just outside Pittsburgh for many, many years. And it was about two years ago that one of her students, Harrison Connor. Just was kind of a little off, not much energy, was pale, wasn't feeling very well. So what happened was Haim and the school nurse alerted Harrison's mom uh, to uh, kind of take him to the hospital and see what's going on. He just wasn't feeling well. This is before Christmas break. Well, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with leukemia at the time. Well, as Harrison fought to make his recovery, which, by the way, he's on the mend right now, that's good news. Heim volunteered to go to his house because he was homebound not once a week every day to check on him, to see how he was doing, making sure he's keeping up with his studies. This goes way beyond the teacher-student dynamic of a relationship. This is more like a surrogate aunt and a nephew. It was that special. And Harrison's mom, uh, Suzanne, told the Today Show that ever since he was diagnosed, I mean, they have been like this. They were very, very tight. They bonded. She's been absolutely amazing, bringing him goodies and toys to play and uh, just really making sure that he's living a good life. Well, anyway, he's in remission right now, little Harrison is. He's in second grade. And I hear he's excelling. That's just wonderful to hear. What a Absolutely. teacher! Absolutely,
1: yes. Oh, my goodness. When you, you know, everybody has a teacher that I think they can look back on their life and they'll say that they were unforgettable, that they really made a difference in their lives. And this woman obviously went way above and beyond the call of um, her duty as just a regular teacher. And it's that I, I wouldn't doubt that that has a lot to do with this little boy. Um, doing so well and getting better so much to live for having the visits every day from this wonderful remarkable woman that's just great jimmy thank you so much for that anytime yes and always leaving you on a high note on a note of good news thank you bob small my engineer speaking of a high note and uh jim cleafield always such a pleasure to be here As always, we send lots of love to you, good health, safety, and all that you love to get you through the week until you hear us the next time on The Way Home. I'm Laura Smith.